Cool. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 21. As we continue our journey through this amazing book, and today as we look at Isaiah 21, uh, I pray that you have your Bible. I pray you're able to look at it because I know that's going to help you understand it a whole lot. Uh, And I believe with all my heart that when you look at the book of Isaiah, one of the things that's so cool, you guys, is that there's a lot of prophecies uh, in Isaiah and other, other portions of Scripture that have already been fulfilled, you know? And so what that does is it gives you a confidence in the Scriptures when it talks about the things that are not yet fulfilled. Uh, for example, we're studying Christmas, right? And you guys know Isaiah 7.14. You guys know that passage? Um, it talks about how one day a virgin would conceive and she'd give, bring forth a child and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so we know that that happened, right? When Mary gave birth and we know that this is what Christmas is all about. And so God made a, a, a promise and then 700 years before it happened and then it happened, right? Something similar in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so uh, that part is uh, already fulfilled. You know, we're celebrating Christmas because Jesus came. But then as you continue to look through that passage, it says, uh, and then the government will be on his shoulders. And what that's talking about is how one day Jesus will reign as king uh, of the world. And so it's kind of cool going through the things that have been fulfilled. For example, Isaiah 52 and 53, it talks about the suffering servant and how our iniquities were laid on him and how he suffered the cross for us. And just an amazing prophecy, things that have been fulfilled. And so what it does is it just, man, it just kind of brings that, that confidence even more so that we know God will fulfill those things ahead. Uh, for example, let's just say I was, uh, I'm not a better, I'm not a betting man. Uh, it's been many years since I've done that. But let's just say I, I was 100% I'm telling you guys who, you know, who wins all the football games, right? And so um, then I, I told you, and then let me tell you what's going to happen next week. Well, if I got them all right, then don't you think I'm going to get the future right as well? And so you can go and you could put, you know, $1,000 and make some money and, Next thing you know, man, the, the Lord provides, you know. And so all, all I know is this, that when you look at scriptures and things that have been fulfilled, then it really brings this confidence for the future. You know, as Christians, we haven't checked our brains in at, at the door. We have this faith founded on fact. 25% of the Bible is prophetic. And so I'll tell you what, we know. Uh, we don't know all the details and the nuances but we know the plan that God has ahead. And so today we continue to look at things like that. And the one of the cool things that you got to know when you're studying scriptures is that the Lord will all, all, a lot of times give prophecies for that day, that day. But then they also have a significance for future days. And that's how when you're reading the Bible, that's how you have to see it. It's an amazing book. Uh, and when you look at it, we're going to see it that way today. Uh, it's just amazing uh, to be able to discover. So in Isaiah 21, we're going to see prophecies against Babylon, Edom, and Arabia. They've all been fulfilled. And then in Isaiah 22, we're going to see prophecies against Jerusalem and this individual named Shebna. Again, they've all been fulfilled. But we're going to see, though, that they also have reference for future fulfillments that we kind of need to be aware of. Okay? 
So let's start in Isaiah 21. We read here in verse 1. It says, The burden against the wilderness of the sea, as whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert from a terrible land. A distressing vision is declared to me that the treacherous dealer deals treacherously and the plunderer plunders. Go up, O Elam. Besiege, O media. All its sighing I have made to cease. And so I don't know if you guys have like headlines in your Bible. Um, most Bibles will kind of put uh, at this point the, the destruction uh, of Babylon, Okay. Now, when you look at these nations, these grand nations, you have Assyria and you have Babylon. And what you have is during the days of Isaiah, Assyria was like the power. And so you'll see when you study history that there is a couple of things that this might be in reference to. Uh, The passage has two main schools of interpretation. Some feel that the occasion depicted here it is in, in reference to the downfall of Babylon in 539 B.C. when Cyrus entered the city with his triumphant forces. And you guys, most of us here, we, we see that in the scriptures. And I think that that's probably what it's in reference to. Uh, when you see that Medo-Persia uh, conquered Babylon and it was done in an interesting way, you can read about it in Daniel chapter 5, Okay. But there are other like solid Bible teachers that believe it was in reference to a different time. Uh, the other interpretation relates the passage to the time of uh, Merodach Baladan. He was a prince of southern Babylonia, and he revolted against Assyria and had himself crowned king of Babylon in 722. But um, what ended up happening was he fell in 702. And so both of these are instances in which Assyria conquered Babylon. Whether you want to believe 702, 589, it doesn't matter. Either way, we're going to see that um, the Medo-Persians, and that's what see what we read right there in verse 2 about Elam and Media? That's the Medo-Persians. So either way, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter. I, I, cling, I, I lean more towards 5. 39 BC, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But but here we see um, it says right here when you look at chapter one and, and I mean, chapter 21 verse one that it's the burden against the wilderness of the sea. And what we find is that you know when you look at that area there in the desert area, the marsh pits, the waters, it's a perfect description of that place. And so as Isaiah gives the, 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 the prophecy, notice what happens in verse 3. He says, Therefore, my loins are filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold of me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I was distressed when I heard it. I was dismayed when I saw it. My heart wavered. Fearfulness frightened me. The night for which I longed he turned into fear for me. So if you could just try to be Isaiah for a second, try to be that prophet, like seeing these visions of like a nation conquering another nation. Here he describes the distress that the vision caused him. And we can even think of other guys in the Bible, guys like Daniel, 
or John the Beloved in the book of Revelation. Imagine, man, seeing a, a vision of God. And not only that, but seeing like the violence, seeing the slaughter of human beings, seeing things very specifically. You know, when you look at this right here, what we find is uh, I- Isaiah, he, he may have thought, and again, whether your school of thought, I'm not sure where you're at, but um, he may have thought that what was going on was the Babylonians were going to kind of like defeat the Assyrians. And so, you know, he's thinking that this is going to be a good thing. It would be, and I don't know if you can have a modern-day comparison, but let's just say there's a world power. We'll just use uh, China as an example. And let's just say China rose, and China began to dominate, and China began to slaughter other nations, and China, or you can even think of maybe Nazi Germany, right? And and then um, you see another nation kind of coming up to defeat them. Well, Isaiah's kind of having hopes like that. You know, he's kind of thinking along those lines. This whole thing of Assyria and Babylon and violence and slaughter, it really has his wheels turning. And he's going through this spiritual vision and he's feeling like, it even says right here, the pangs of a, of a woman in, in labor. And so look what happens in verse 5. It says, prepare the table, set a watchman in the tower, eat and drink, arise you princes, anoint the shield, for thus has the Lord said to me, go set a watchman and let him declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a pair of horsemen, a chariot of donkeys, and a chariot of camels. And he listened earnestly with great care. And then he cried, A lion, my Lord, I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. I have sat at my post every night. And look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. And then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the carved images of her gods, he has broken down to the ground. Oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, that which I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have declared to you. And so when, when you see this, it's an interesting thing. Isaiah, he sees the vision. He sees the, the way that, you know, Babylon falls. And in one sense, when you're looking at this right here, um, they should have been ready for the battle, you know. I mean, he talks about putting oil on the leather shield, and that would be done in order to prevent the, the cracking when struck by the weapons of their enemy. And, and so, you know, you put the oil on the shield, and, and you're ready for war. And, and so, you know, one of the things I was sharing on Sunday is I think it's kind of cool when you look maybe a little deeper. And when you go to the Old Testament and you look at the shield of faith, Right, with which we quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And when you think of oil, what does oil symbolize? The Holy Spirit. What's going on right here? Isaiah is saying there's a battle. There's a battle going on. And it doesn't really seem like they're really ready for the battle. I mean, you've got a couple of things happening here, but it's interesting. Uh, if you look at the, the f- one view in reference to you know, um, Babylon being friendly to Israel. 
Um, more than likely, if that were the case, and Isaiah is rooting for them, right? Hey, you guys should have fought. But unfortunately, they, they didn't. What we see right here in looking at this, look again at verse 5. Prepare the table. Set a watchman in the tower, eat and, and drink. I mean, more than likely, what's happening right here, it was, an, it was an atmosphere of leisure. There they are at the table, feasting and drinking. And so you guys who know your Bibles, um, does that bring to mind any certain chapter of the Bible? Daniel chapter 5. When you see Belteshazzar bringing out the gold from the temple, the cups and the utensils, and what are they doing? They're just having this big feast. And, and so then what ends up happening is the hand appears and there's writing on the wall, and God ends up defeating the Babylonians that very night. You know, what you see right here is interesting. He talks about chariots with donkeys and chariots with camels. The Elamites used donkeys in battle and the Medes uh, used camels. When he references the lion right here, it's uh, really a a traditional cry of alarm because in those days, the lion was considered the greatest danger to the flock. And so when when we look at this right here, we see um, something interesting just about the fall of Babylon. Isaiah prophesies it ahead of time. Uh, whether you want to say it happened in 702 B.C. or 539. Either one, that, that's up to you. But he says it in advance. And I know if you have the Spirit of God, and I know if you've read the book of Revelation, then when you read that right there, right there in verse 9, where it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, I know, you know, it takes us where? To the book of Revelation. Because that's exactly what the book of Revelation talks about. And, and what we're reading right here is really interesting because, yeah, it's something that takes place in, uh, in that day back then, but it catapults us to the future as well. You know, what we see going on in our world today is the rise of Babylon. You know, what was it? In, where did the, 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 the Babylonians start? What, what was it about the Tower of Babel, you guys? Remember God said, hey, you guys, scatter throughout the earth, you know, and, you know, fill the earth, inhabit it, man. Check out this beautiful planet that I've made. But what did they do? They ended up uniting. And they said, hey, we don't want to do what God said. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to unite and we're going to build a tower to reach the heavens. And you can read about that in the book of Genesis chapter 11. And so um, what we find from that day, uh, Nimrod, and I think that's all satanic, and that's just there, it stems from the evil one. What we find is that since that day, the enemy has always had it in his heart to unite the world against the Lord. To unite the And what it is is this godless society this godless system it's babylon throughout the bible you guys remember that book the tale of two cities the two cities are jerusalem and babylon and what we see going on today in all the globalism how the whole world is starting to come together again and not just you know for good we're talking about anti-christ what we find is the rise of Babylon. And, and so when you see that happening, then know that the Lord is going to come, like we read in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, 
how God says he will judge religious Babylon and he will judge commercial Babylon. And this is kind of what we see right here. Babylon is fallen. It is fallen. In Revelation 14, 8, it says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And what you find is Babylon symbolizes the whole godless world system. You know, when you look at Babylon, something that's interesting, you guys, I want to share with you a a picture of a sculpture that was recently donated to the United Nations. And I think we have a picture of it. Now, when you look closely at it, it's kind of like a nice work of art, huh? You know, you're like, hey, that that's, well, maybe not. I don't know. It depends on on your view. Some of you guys maybe get scared by it, but it, it was donated to the United Nations. And uh, and it recently, um, you guys know the, the whole, I don't know, motto of the United Nations has always been peace. We're going to, you know, take our swords and we're going to, you know, turn them into plowshares. We read that in the book of Isaiah, right? And so that's what this sculpture is all about supposedly it's the guardian of peace but to me it's interesting how does this become the guardian of peace you know when you read the book of daniel it talks about babylon and it talks about this lion with wings interesting when you read the book of revelation it mentions the beast as a leopard as a leopard so again I'm not saying slam dunk. I'm not saying, well, this right here is, is a, the clear-cut indicator, you know, that, you know, we've got 17 days left or something like that. All I'm saying is that when you start looking at the rise of the United Nations, this whole Babylonian spirit, when you start looking at, you know, this thing right there in the Vitters Visitor Center at the United Nations, and you're looking at it, and it's a beast. It's a beast. It's a leopard with wings. To me, I don't know, I just start listening a little more and I, and I just kind of start saying, Lord, th- are you trying to say something? Are, are you trying to tell us if we would just open our eyes just a little bit? I'm not saying it's everything that the book of Revelation talks about with all the horns and stuff because all that is symbolic. All I know is that I've seen these symbols in the Bible. I, I believe that the Lord is talking to us. Manny, you better be ready. And Manny, you better tell the church to be ready. Because when you read the Bible, you're like, whoa, leopard, wings, beast, United Nations. They, when they say peace, sudden destruction. You know, California, I'll tell you this. California is in big trouble, man. Because you guys know as they're taking this the whole case of abortion to the Supreme Court's uh, there's going to be a decision coming down probably next summer, and there is a good chance that they might overturn Roe versus Wade. So the moment that happens, you've got a number of states in the United States of America that will immediately uh, uh, they'll ban abortion in their states. And so what has California decided to do? You guys know about this, right? California has decided to move forward and become what they call a sanctuary state. 
And so let's just say you live on the other side of the country and you want to get an abortion, but you live in a state where it's not legal. Then they will pay for your flight. They will pay for your lodging. They will pay for your child care if you have children. They will pay for your procedure. Just come to our state and have an abortion. Imagine that. I mean, there's a lot of people in the, in the country that would like to come to California anyways. Well, might as well get pregnant and go over there, and man, they'll pay for everything. So, so when, I don't know how that strikes you, but when I found out about that, I said, Lord, our state is, is going to do this? And I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm thinking, Lord, how can California survive the judgment that is heading our way if this does indeed come to pass? So as a, a pastor, you read Ezekiel 3, you read Ezekiel 33, a large part of our calling is to be able to warn people. Again, I'm not saying dogmatically, because God is gracious and God is merciful, but I, I will say this, you guys, be ready. Be ready and be praying for our nation. You know, it's interesting what uh, Isaiah writes right here, in verse 10, again, look what it says. Oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, that which I have heard from the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, I have declared to you. And that's really what Paul said as well. I mean, that's what a prophet does. They just, what they hear from God, they share with the people. And so hopefully, as we're reading this, we're understanding this is not the word of Isaiah. This is what God gave him to give to us. Same thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, And so you have the judgment on Babylon. And then next you have the judgment on Edom. Look at verse 11. It says the burden against Duma. And that word is kind of a play on words in the Hebrew. It just means silence. And so he calls me, he calls to me out of seer. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, well, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, return, come back. Now, as I was reading this, I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say here? You know. And so um, some say that the Medo-Persians may have been happy that Babylon had been conquered. That was kind of like the morning. Uh, but um, then Edom ended up being conquered by the Assyrians after they conquered the Babylonians, and that was the night. And so, you know, kind of like this, you guys. It's a nighttime, and you're, you're going through hard times, and then comes the morning. And so um, we know the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But then what? Does it always stay joyful? No. Then night comes again, and then morning, and then night, and then morning. This is the world that we live in, right? One day, the sun will never set, but that's not until we get to heaven. Now, it's interesting who he's speaking to right here. This is a seer, and so that was another word for Edom. These are the Edomites, and who are the Edomites? They are the descendants of Esau. 
Esau uh, was the brother of Jacob. And so, in, in one sense, Esau had a, a godly upbringing, right? He had that godly upbringing. But for whatever reason, he went astray. He went his own way. Now, as we're talking to the Edomites right here, this burden against them, it's interesting what the watchman says. He says, if you will inquire, look again in verse 12, inquire. And then he says, return. He says, come back. And and that right there, even though we don't understand everything about it, that right there is pretty easy to understand. That if in any way a person has drifted away from God, that word Duma, silence, don't be silent. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, the Hebrew word that's translated inquire right here, it means desire earnestly by asking. And so if you've drifted away, Don't be quiet. Don't just kick back. Don't just rest on your laurels. Use that that voice. Use that heart. Use that faith. And you cry out to God. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, bring me back to you. You say that from your heart. And you watch what God will do. You know, it's interesting. Today I was reading out of the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. It's almost like, you know, if a person's headed in a certain way and they're going to get, you know, disciplined by God and they're going to maybe even ruin their life. God says, you know what, even though that's kind of the way you're heading, if you would get your life right now before it's too late, you never know. Maybe God will change his mind. It's interesting. It says in verse 14, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God so interesting how he shares uh, the prophecy the burden against babylon the burden against edom things that we can glean from and then in verse 13 the burden against arabia it says there in the forest or the the bramble bushes or there and in arabia you will lodge oh you traveling companies oh dedanites this is speaking of saudi arabia inhabitants of the land of tima Bring water to him who is thirsty with their bread. They met him who fled. For they fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the distress of war. For thus the Lord has said to me, within a year, according to the year of a hired man, and that means it's a, it's a perfect year, all the glory of Kedar will fall will fail, and the remainder of the number of archers, the mighty men of the people of Kedar, will be diminished, for the Lord God of Israel has spoken it. And so, just, you know, you guys, all you have to do, like I said, all you have to do is go back in history, and you see when Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persians, when Edom was conquered by the Medo-Persians, and when Arabia was conquered by the Medo-Persians in 715 or right around 716 BC. You can see it. It's there. These prophecies, they actually came to pass. This is when 
again, Arabia was conquered by Sargon II. And so, you know, for us going through these things, um, I know in those days, as Isaiah's, you know, sharing these things, he's warning them. I wonder, do you guys think that God will judge our nation? I was reading one of the prophecies the other day, and it was a trip, man. I was talking about how they went into the, the nation, and they're climbing in the windows, and they're busting down the doors. Can that happen to us? I think if you believe in God, and you believe in, in the Bible, and if you believe in uh, what's going on in our nation, all the evil that's happening, maybe we'll get raptured first. That's my prayer. But I tell you what, United States of America, man, the way that we've turned our backs on God, even though he did so much for us. That's another thing I've been reading as I'm studying the Bible, how God is talking to Israel. And he says, I don't get it. You know, you were there and you were dust and I chose you and I washed you and I cleansed you and, you know, I redeemed you out of Egypt and you were slaves in that, you know, brick oven. You had no hope. And then I sustained you in the wilderness for 40 years. And then, you know, I, I went before you and Canaan defeated those giants, gave you this land flowing with milk and honey and you forgot me. That's us. That's the United States of America. How many people really love the Lord? There's a remnant. There's a few. But even in the church, you really wonder, is my heart really his? So the, when, what I'm saying is there's a warning. There's a warning. And I will tell you this. Peter said this, that judgment's coming and judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So we, as a prophet, as, you know, we're reading the scriptures, it's our job to say that that's what's ahead of us. Unless there's some type of crazy turnaround, understand that's, that's what's ahead. You, know, you talk to, to Babylon, it happened to them. You talk to Edom, it happened to them. You talk to Arabia, it happened to them. We're going to see next, it happens to Jerusalem. And just in case you're like, well, it's just countries. It's just like this general thing. It's kind of interesting how Isaiah then takes an individual by the name of Shebna and he says, and it's going to happen to you too. Because a lot of times we think, well, this is big, general, vague, national thing. No, it's very, very, very personal. So next he deals with, with Jerusalem. You know, it says right here in, in verse 1, the burden against the valley of a vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Now, it's interesting how he mentions the valley of vision, the burden against the valley of vision in verse 1. What's the valley of vision? Now, some say it's in reference to the valley of Hinnom that's just outside of Jerusalem. But one of the things when you, when you read the Bible, you'll find the valley of vision, number one, is always in reference to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is not necessarily a valley. But it is lower than the mountains that surround Jerusalem. And so it might just be in reference to that fact, but most people believe that the Valley of Vision is in reference to the many prophetic visions that have been received and then given 
to the people in Jerusalem. And that, that's what we're right in the middle of, huh? The visions of Isaiah when it comes to Babylon, Edom, Arabia, and now Jerusalem, right? And so what we find is that these visions are come from God, and so it intensifies the responsibility that we have when we hear them. Now, I will tell you guys this, just in case you read your commentaries later. I'm not sure if you guys ever do that or not. But there are a few people who believe this is in reference to the time when um, the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 Assyrians who surrounded Jerusalem. And that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a completely different view than what most other Bible teachers uh, see. But um, notice again in verse 1, what ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? Now, the housetops uh, were flat, and that's where they would go, and that was kind of like their patio. Sometimes they would celebrate there. You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city, a joyous city. So if it is in reference to Jerusalem celebrating the victory over the Assyrians, that would kind of you know make sense there. It says right there, you're slain Men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. What that's in reference to, if it is that, how the angel of the Lord just came. It wasn't a war. He just came and wiped them out, right? And so that might be what it's talking about. But um, again, I, I lean a little different direction. I think he's just kind of keeping it all. Because then those who say that, then they shift gears into something different. Um, as far as the destruction of Jerusalem goes. And so uh, what we find right here is this is probably more than likely in reference to um, when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Babylonians and eventually carried away captain, captive in 586 B.C. That's why it says right there, uh, what ails you now? You know, that's why when it talks about these slain men, they're not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. What that's in reference to, and you can read this in the Hebrew language, is people dying from famine and people dying from pestilence. It wasn't even a war yet. These guys are already dying. Notice it says right there that all the rulers have fled and they're captured by the archers. And so when Isaiah saw this, he was torn up. Look again at verse 4. Therefore, I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. You see, that's why I believe this is in reference to Jerusalem surrounded by the Babylonians and just their downfall. For it says in verse 5, it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains. Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. It shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. He removed the protection of Judah. There it is. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You know, I don't know, like, how you guys feel, like, if some pastor guy, you know, starts talking about how America's going to get judged. 
some of you guys here, you're probably, you understand it. That, that makes sense. Uh, most people out there, maybe even some of you here, you're like, that's, that's so um, mean or whatever. That's so crazy. Well, that's where Isaiah was. He was just saying, we're, we're going to get judged. I see it. I have this vision of people dying by the pestilence and people dying because of famine before the war even begins. And then when the war begins, watch what happens. You know, God is holy and we have to understand that. You know, what we find is that, you know, these chariots and even in verse six, when it talks about Elam and and, and those Medo-Persians who had kind of joined Babylon at this point, sometimes you have that in, in part of the, 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 the soldiers, you know, joining other soldiers. God removed the protection of Judah. Do you know why I'm alive? I mean, part of the reason I'm alive, you guys, I, and I'm going to say this for all of you, because God protecting you. You guys know that? What would happen to you in a split second if God didn't protect you? You die. You die. I don't care how good of a kung fu sounds who you know, man. You die. The only reason we're alive is because God has protected us. And the same thing is true for our nation. But right here, it says in verse 8 that he removed the protection of Judah. And then he starts saying, because you guys started looking to the wrong places. I mean, you looked in that day to the armor of the house of forests and see Jerusalem had... They had this palace of the forest. They had their royal armory there. You can read that in First Kings chapter 7. And so I'll, I'll bet you, you know, when, you know, they're going through this and the Babylonians start heading their way, that they're like, okay, we got to check our, our weapons. I'm going to, you know, check the, the house or the palace of the forest and make sure we got our weapons. I'm sure we'll be okay if we got our weapons, right? And then in verse 9 of chapter 22, you also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great, and you gathered together the waters of the lower pool, and you numbered the houses of Jerusalem, and, and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. I mean, basically, they're kind of doing all the stuff, you know, that you would naturally do. You know, make sure you got the guns, make sure you got the weapons, make sure your defense and military is strong. And, you know, we got to make sure we have a water supply. And, hey, our, our walls are kind of getting, you know, you know, broken down. And so what they literally would do is they would take houses and they would knock down those houses and they would take the material in order to fortify the walls. They were doing everything a, a human being could do. But what was the one thing that they neglected? It says right there, but you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. You know, when, when you fashioned it long ago, that's an interesting uh, phrase right there. What's he talking about? He's talking about how one day God knew from the beginning exactly what would happen in the days that we're in, the, the days that are fashioned. And, 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 and what we find is that a lot of times, and I, and I know I can find, I can be just as guilty, you know, you do everything but look to God. You know, I can study, 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 study like crazy. I can read, read, read like crazy. But how about praying? How about praying? 
to me, I think praying, to be honest, I think praying and trusting and just really doing things God's way, that's how we really look to him. You know, they made a special reservoir that was built to retain surplus water from the pool of Siloam, and they got their material from the houses, and, you know, they made sure they had their military weapons, but they didn't really, truly pray. Trust the Lord to be the one that would be their defender. I mean, a lot of people have the mentality, well, God helps those who help themselves. Have you guys ever heard that? I forgot who it was, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. One of those guys said that, you know. But um, we know that God helps those who can't help themselves. I can't do it, Lord. I can't be the man that you want me to be. I can't be the husband, the dad, you know, the the servant, the son, the friend, nothing. I, I can't. And so, Lord... I'm on my face. I'm on my face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust and I'm going to listen. And Lord, when you tell me to do things that even I don't really understand why, I will do them and I will trust you. You know, the interesting thing, like I said earlier, when some people talked about the first three verses, maybe being the first time that God had defeated the Assyrians with one angel, 185,000 soldiers died, If that's the case, either way, it doesn't matter because Israel didn't learn their lesson. Because God has shown his faithfulness. That's why we need to be faithful. You know, when you look at history and you start looking at the different kings, uh, the one, one of my favorites is King Asa who prayed. He just prayed when a million men came against him and God gave the victory. Hezekiah took the matter and he took it to, and he just spread it out before the Lord. You know, I think people need to fear God because they want money or they want this and that. They want the things that men can give. And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you guys, watch out. Watch out. Because God is real and God is holy. You know, we have to seek the Lord the way that he taught us to. Second Chronicles 17, 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but what deliverance is of the Lord. Now, I think we can do everything that's you know, possible, everything we can, and after we've prayed as much as possible. And so we read in verse 12, the way that God had ministered to them. And in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for, for weeping and for mourning and for baldness and for girding with sackcloth. But instead, there was joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you, even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. You know, God had called for weeping, mourning, and girding themselves with sackcloth. And, you know, 
I got to be careful when it comes to that stuff. I can't say that everybody's got to do that all the time. I do know this, that you have a responsibility to listen to the Lord. And if he calls you to do that, then he will speak to you and he will give you the details. I do know this, that this was a time of national peril, national danger. And those are the days that we're living in today. You know, God wanted the people to turn to him, not just eat, drink, and be merry. You know, when you guys think about eating and drinking and being merry, um, I don't know, I don't want to take that away because God is good. I talk a lot about food, right? But um, I, I will say this. I think that what that means is two things. Number one, don't be hedonistic. Don't be hedonistic. That's the world that just parties. The world is just enjoying the things of the world. So number one, don't be hedonistic. And then number two, don't be fatalistic. Don't be fatalistic. They're like, well, I'm just going to do it anyways because I'm just going to die. No. Your prayers, our prayers, our repentance, it might be like the city of Nineveh when they turned to God, how God relented from the harm. And if it's not for our nation, maybe it'll be for your family. Or maybe it'll be for you. But for us, you know, we take these things for, to heart. You know, a really heavy verse that God has been laying on my heart is 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I mean, I, I think if I was talking to you guys, we would all say that. Yeah, I think that not, well, you guys are healthy Christians, cause, so you can't say, well, I know the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour, but I think also as healthy Christians, we, we know that we're in the season. At the end of all things, it seems like it is at hand. So, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to be a prayer warrior. Please, Lord. And so he deals with these nations, you know, with Babylon and Edom and Arabia and Jerusalem, and these are all things that we've seen in history. And then not just a, a, a nation, this national thing, just in case you're thinking that you can escape. No, it's a personal thing. Look what happens next, and we'll close with this. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, go proceed to this steward to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, what have you here, and, and whom have you here, that you have hewn a, a sepulchre here, as he who hews himself a sepulchre on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock? Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country, and there you shall die, and there your glorious chariot shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office and from your position, he will put you down. And you can read about this guy, both of these guys actually, in Second Kings chapter 18. And apparently there was a guy here named Shebna who was in it for himself. He was building a monument for himself, kind of like Absalom. And that's a very dangerous thing to do when you're in it for yourself. The Bible says you seek great things in Jeremiah 45, 5. You seek great things for yourself, seek them not. And so, 
you know, this guy right here was setting up something for himself and God says, I'm going to take you down. In verse 20, he's going to replace him with someone. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. Now again, you Bible students, where have you heard that before? The book of Revelation in reference to who? Jesus. So the interesting thing is this, that although it was an immediate you know, fulfillment in, in the days of Isaiah, it was also pointing to something that would happen one day. In all reality, Shebna is in reference to the Antichrist, and Eliakim is in reference to Jesus Christ. As the Antichrist rises and he gets this global domination and authority, Jesus will come and he will take his place. And there's a lot here. We don't have time to go over it. Man, it's amazing prophecy. It says in verse 23, I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house and they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels, a small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall and the burden that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. And that last section right there, and I just have to tell you this, uh, yeah, and even though I know we've got to finish, where it says that it will be cut off. You know what that's talking about? You know what that's talking about? That's about Jesus dying. It really is. When you, talk, when you read this right here, and when it mentions the fact that, that and, the, and the burden that was on it, you know what that burden is? Our sins. Our sins. And when Jesus died, the burden from us is lifted because of what he's done and the fact that we've placed our faith in Christ. And so, man, prophecies, Isaiah can't even touch the bottom, but it's just so beautiful to see. Main thing is, you guys, that you are right in your relationship with God, that you know what grace is, that you are seeking him with a reckless abandon, not playing games, not playing church. None of us are perfect, you guys. I understand that. But we have to make sure that our hearts are set in the right place. We've got to make sure that we're praying, seeking the Lord the way that we should. And our eyes are open to what's going on in this world. Because, man, it sure seems like Mike McIntosh said, he said, gentlemen, start your engines because the end of the world is at hand. I don't know for sure, man, but we got to be ready. Amen.